Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called Top Line Growth or Unit Economics, What Should I Chase? Your teacher is Sandeep Deshmukh. Sandeep is the quintessential small town boy who's made it big. He worked as a software engineer for companies like Apple and DHL before co-founding Elastic Run along with Saurabh Nigam and Shitis Bansal. Elastic Run acts as the distribution arm of FMCG companies, helping them reach millions of Kirana stores across rural India. Elastic Run turned unicorn in 2022 after raising $330 million from its investors. Sandeep is here to answer that all-important question, top-line growth or bottom-line profits? What should an entrepreneur chase? Sandeep Deshmukh, welcome to ET Startup School. Sandeep, once upon a time, business used to be pretty simple. Create a product or a service, manufacture it or produce it, sell it at a profit. What happened to that so-called simple business model? I think the simple model exists and I think that's the right way to do the business. Uh, but then there are also opportunities uh, wherein you see that technology can open up some, um, some new horizons, some new opportunities. And uh, once you figure out that the tech has solved for that problem, then uh, then it's up, it's really up to the entrepreneur and the and the board to decide should we really play it slow and uh, take say x number of years to acquire the whole of the market and there, there are certain risks to that market because once a particular product is invented your competition not may not wait the ecosystem may not remain same so one of the approaches is then you go all out and and win that market uh, and I think that's when the whole uh, whole rapid scale blitz scaling philosophy started and i think there, there is merit to that uh, there are some businesses uh, that that you are better off acquiring pretty quickly uh, there are a lot of examples in india where the winner takes all or, or the top two players dominate the market um, uh, but but having said that or having done the blitz scaling we always have to go back to the original concept of the business has to generate profit it has to generate its own cash flow and and survive on its own uh, so the, the early model has not gone anywhere. I think we just added a dimension of uh, quick scale up to that. We don't have 20 years to, to scale, scale. Uh, call it impatience or call it the market dynamics. Sandeep, you used the word blitz scaling in your previous answer. Can you explain what blitz scaling means? Uh, blitz scaling is the same point that, that we talked about, right? Suppose you, you figure out a product, you fi find out a product market fit, you know your customers are liking it and there is demand for the product. Uh, then uh, you have the option of slowly, gradually uh, growing that. How a traditionally a traditional company will do, say, a fifteen percent, twenty percent year-on-year growth. Uh, but you also know that there is a market which allows you to grow thousand times your size, or maybe ten thousand times your size. Then what should you do? Should you go through the gradual path, or should you aim for the um, 10x, 100x, 1000x growth in say year one, year two, year three. And the moment you try to hit that logarithmic growth because you have the product market fit, that's what I will call the blitz scaling and not the linear scaling. If you're a first time entrepreneur, how do you know if you're in a distribution first company or a monetization first company? By this, I mean, how do you know if you should just grow as big as you can and get as much of the market as you can, or you should monetize right from the beginning? I don't think that is an option. I don't think those are either or. Uh, 
the distribution uh, or the land grab or the scale can only happen only after you have established the product market fit and the product market fit is established then uh, then you you know where your revenues are going to come from what your monetization model is you may pump uh, some extra money on 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 customer acquisition or market acquisition but that does not take away the factor that your monetization is not solved for if the monetization is not solved for then at least personally i think then there is no no point in distribution because we you haven't established the product market fit the customer pool is not established then what are we uh, scaling for so that definitely uh, the, the monetization model at least definitely comes first before you go for distribution for elastic run how did you design your company's monetization model or the path to profitability what are the sort of steps an entrepreneur needs to follow for this so there, there are several ways that can be followed the, the principle that we followed was simple that we'll never do a negative unit economics business our uh, business of uh, the, the the core logistics and the distribution the b2b e-commerce platform built on top of that was always built on uh, positive unit economics and once we established the positive unit economics then only we went on to scaling the business uh and that that remains the core philosophy otherwise then the then the then the cash burn and the pressure of scale up is is uh, is at a different level so we we continue to follow the same model of positive unit economics right off the bat so sandeep does this mean that you envision profitability for your company right from day one or was there a planned period of loss saying we're not going to make money for the first 3 6 9 months but we will make money after that See, uh, profitability and unit economics are two different things. Unit economics means that that I have a model that makes money and I can multiply it ten thousand times or hundred thousand times, and at that point of time, it will generate positive contribution. I think that's a non-negotiable. If that is not in place, then the business, in my view, cannot survive. Although there are other uh, theories, those are used by other startups. But my philosophy is the. positive unit, unit economics and the cash contribution is necessary then the profitability at a company level is the stage 2 goal uh, the profitability at a company level comes at a cost of what kind of money that you are pumping into say building your technology grabbing your market what are your fixed expenses which are your company level expenses now there you may take an aggressive stand that i want to spend a lot more money into my company and product and 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 marketing expenses such that to grab the market but that can only happen if we know that the unit economics is positive and uh, throwing up cash such that at some point of time you have the you have the two uh, curves matching each other such that the cash thrown by your unit economics crosses the uh, the curve thrown the, the curve of your fixed cost and that's when you turn profitable so at least that that view of profitability is necessary although you need not have it uh, at least in my point of view you need not have it on day one but the uh, the positive unit economics is a must have right from day one So that's a clear distinction they are saying between unit economics and profitability the two are not one and the same yeah can some business have negative network effects for instance let's say a food delivery business it seems like the more customers they have the worse the unit economics will become because the cost of each incremental delivery person and the cost of each incremental delivery it's actually bad for the company can a business be like that as well so i won't be able to talk specifically say of food delivery i mean that's a very mature industry and i'm i'm sure they have a lot of uh, more model but yeah i mean uh, in general term there could be businesses where the uh, where the variable cost of business uh, never crosses the uh, the revenue opportunity for unit economy i mean that's when the unit economies can never turn uh, positive that's a Uh, that that your variable cost will always be higher than your uh, your gross margin so then it's a net net no go 
because the more you grow higher will be your cash burn how does an entrepreneur find out if they're in a business like that like the one you just described it's for an entrepreneur it's not actually that difficult i mean you just have to look at your uh, 10th day or 30th day or 100 day uh, operation and you can you can build your models and you can figure out that uh, if you don't even have to figure out it's a pretty simple mathematics that if you're uh if your gross margins are higher than your variable cost and if that answer is no then then you know you are in negative unit economics how important is the gmv metric we hear here of gross merchandise value some people say it's a fairly meaningless metric it's just the value of all the goods sold not the amount of profitability you made or the unit economics that you have so is gmv a very important metric see we are looking at two different lenses profitability and gmv talk of two very different uh, uh dimensions and none of them are uh, we we can't live with with any one of them uh, the the purpose of gmv is to show show that if the gmv is growing exponentially that means my product market fit is established the intent of gmv is not to show that if it will be profitable or not i think if you one has to look at the profitability they have to i will suggest they should go back and look at the unit economics the unit economics needs to be profitable you need to have a sticky customer base and then your product is so good that your customer base can multiply by 10x 100x 1000x and when your customer base multiply by those numbers then your gmv automatically goes through the roof so gmv is a is a synonym for high customer pull and then your positive unit, unit economics is a synonym for your uh, uh, for your profitability such that that as as your gmv is increasing your uh, gross money that you generate out of the business uh, not not the percentage gross profit but the net gross money that is generating is is higher than the the fixed cost that you have in the business so gmv is equally important as much as profitability it just that we can't get blind sided by gmv for the sake of gmv when when you are in the negative unit economics you spoke about the first mover advantage and a winner takes all market a company like google for instance was 14th or 18th or 20th entrant to enter the marketplace and yet they dominated the marketplace so are there any advantages to not being a first mover or not being the first few players in the market see i think i think that's a classic business strategy theory uh, there are certain products wherein you, even if you are in the 100 player coming in but if you are the superior product you will win over the market something like uh, say a search engine if the uh search engine is so good but even i mean at some point of time dominant position of uh, google it will be difficult to topple even if someone has a better search engine but uh, let's assume that we are in the infancy phases of the business and the initial first two three years uh then the network effect has not played out but if you have very solid tech product which has a very high distribution capabilities uh, distribution capability such that if you have to go 1000x you can you can literally scale up your servers and grow 1000x then uh, then you may be able to overcome the uh, the uh, the second more or 10th more uh, challenge but say you are in a business where where the growth actually relies relies on lot of moving parts on on the ground uh, where the customer has has lot of hooks built into the into the product some of the product that you talked about uh, say the food delivery or taxi tax engine again very mature model uh, models and those businesses know their model pretty well but it's very difficult to change the customer preference there because lot of moving parts are involved the restaurants are involved delivery partners are involved the customers are involved uh, whereas a tech product where a switch is just change from website a to website b i think there the uh, there the first more advantage may not be as big as much as it is into the uh, the physical touch point world 
under what circumstances should a company founder focus solely on top line growth is there any such phase of the business where you shouldn't worry too much about bottom line and profitability and just focus on the top line yeah so like like i mentioned earlier that if you have established that your unit economics is positive uh if you have established the product market fit that there is you can deliver a hockey stick growth from in your business then comes a time then one has to make a decision that that where should i really uh, uh, zoom past uh, everything and and acquire the all of the market for myself or i i play it slow and let someone else uh, slowly gradually acquire that market and at that point of time you might make a decision that okay given that i have unit positive unit economies given that i have the product market fit this is the x amount of money i would need to grab the whole market and then then that's a mathematical decision that is this money worth spending on on grabbing that market and the the, the size of the pie is way too big so then at that point of time then then you might go only after top line that that i have to grab the market for next x amount of time and then i know i will come back to uh, not come back to my business will become profitable at scale and for those first time founders who don't know what the hockey stick model is can you explain it is it like your profits are going like this and suddenly shoot up yeah it's not profit i mean hockey stick is like yeah you you are flat in the initial few days when you are trying to experiment your with your product design uh, you you develop something but you don't know if it will work or not uh, you don't know exactly what the customer behavior is what the customer wants so you keep on tweaking your your product at a very small scale but suddenly uh, one day the click happens and then you realize that yes you have the product exact product that the customer wants and then suddenly you see the the metrics of customer changing that you have new customers coming uh, on board at at very fast pace at the same time your repeat buying behavior is is extremely high and at that point of time you suddenly see that the the number of customers or the total size of the business from a flat line is suddenly takes off in a vertical takeoff side and that's a sign that your product is sticking uh, so the, the, you you can convert hockey stick into uh, is matrix is a your blitz scale growth b your customer retention c your uh, growth in average order value of the customer if all of those metrics are growing then then you know you are in the sweet spot All right. One of the things that you're definitely going to need for blitz scaling is a lot of capital. And let's assume you raise some money from a venture capitalist. Now the VC starts putting pressure on you to grow the top line at any cost. What does a founder do now? I I, I don't think it's uh, it's 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 fair to put the blame on VCs that they put pressure on you to grow. At least I have not come across VCs. Maybe we are we are we are blessed with uh, with a with a great board. But I think see from whatever I know of the VC industry, they uh, at least in India they have been fairly offhand and and let the entrepreneur drive the show. So I think the the shots are primarily called by the entrepreneurs. It's their ambition, aspiration to uh, how they do it. I think the VCs would, uh, would would support you if you want to go at a fast pace. They would love that. Uh, love if you can deliver a very high scaling uh, business because that's what they are in business for that to create outlandish uh, results but uh, at least i have not come across a vc who, who comes up and says okay now i will dictate the business strategy and and you run the business like that i i i don't know if that will work out i have not seen an evidence of that so how does a founder navigate the line between valuation and value creation all of you entrepreneurs are in the business of value creation I don't think those are two different paths. The value creation is is the first thing that you do. If you are not doing value creation, the valuation is not going to come. I mean, uh, it it will be too naive to to assume that the valuation just follow anything, right? Rather for uh, for anything, uh, I, I think 
the VCs are very, very uh, seasoned, mature uh, money managers, and and they have chosen a niche where they know that they can they can deliver multiples. Uh, I mean, outcomes in 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 multiples, and they play their uh, business. I mean, they play with their deployments very uh, very smartly. So until there is an angle of value creation into the business, the valuation may not come. Yes, there might be calls taken that okay, we are uh, differing certain parts of the business that the uh, that that if I am spending hundred million onto the blitz scale up, but if it can generate a valuation of say ten billion, uh, some board may take that call, and and there are enough evidences of that. But but. Uh, at least from my point of view, those decisions are always based on the underlying value-creating business. If the underlying business is not value-creating, uh, it will be a lose call. Do you have a framework for spotting hidden value in your company? By this, I mean uh, Amazon Web Services was clearly a hidden value in Amazon. And they spotted it and now it's a giant business and contributes a huge amount to Amazon's top line and bottom line. So if you're running a business, how do you spot hidden value? So spotting hidden value is a, is a good statement from an investor point of view that they have figured something out. If you ask me from an entrepreneur's point of view, rather, these are the games that you keep working on for a very, very, very long time, uh, fighting against every odd, that, uh, fighting against every conviction that this is not going to work. And suddenly someone uh, something happens again, the hockey stick growth happens for that particular product. And that at that point of time, the external entities will will find out, okay, there was a gem sitting out there. Uh, but I think the entrepreneur always knows. If the entrepreneur does not know, then that, that gem won't, won't be a gem. I, I wouldn't say that these are these are accidents. There are there are 10, 20 such pilots that you will run and one out of them um, actually actually takes off, including the example that, that you talked about. I'm pretty sure AWS did not just just did not happen one fine day. I mean, there was so much of architectural change that is required to uh, to decouple the hard coding that you do for building your own website to decoupling your servers and letting it some, someone else do it. So that's that's not an accidental find. Yeah, those are finds for external uh, investor. I will suggest the entrepreneur should keep focus uh, focusing on on and and doing all of those tiny experiments that they that they know there, which only they can run from their their position. Okay, Sandeep, good good lessons so far. So let's assume that you have a clear runway to scale and profitability. You have a clear view of, of unit economics. You have a very, very good product market fit. Everything is all set and you get hit by a black swan event. And black swan events are no longer theoretical. We're coming out of a three-year pandemic. What does the entrepreneur do when you get hit with something like this? <laughs> I, I really wish and hope that <laughs> we never get hit by something like that or no one gets hit by like that. But uh, there, there is no playbook. I mean, what what playbook you are going to make? You do your annual operating plans. You you wish for best. You you continue to execute how you are executing. But the only advice I will give to myself. I mean, I am not sure that if I am even capable of giving this advice to anyone else is just be open minded that whatever you plan. I mean, just be humble and and be humble to yourself that whatever you are planning might mean zilch on one fine day morning. And this has happened to us. I mean, we were on such a rocket ride just at the start of the COVID. The lockdown happened and the whole business went down to zero. And three months out, we were onto another rocket ride, which was at a two x speed than what what it was earlier. So, uh, how do I react to a x to zero and zero to two x speed? I don't think we can react anything on on material grounds. But on the uh, mental framework, one has to be ready that 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 uh, this is uh, we should always be ready for. I mean, there are no sacred cows. There is there is there is no firm structure. We we should be able to uh, 
dismantle everything in our thought process and be ready to build everything from ground zero at any point of time so everything is everything can be a sunk cost at one point of time actually that that has been my learning and that gets built into every new team that you build in that that if i have to restructure the team you essentially think or restructure a business you essentially think of okay what happens if everything each of everything of this goes down to zero how will i rebuild it although that that thought process was always there but now i think it is uh, it is enforced to a great extent that everything we, we should be able to bring everything to ground zero and rebuild it all together without any hang ups that's that's my learning what do entrepreneurs need to know about pivoting pivoting is a, is a very very specific uh, point and i think the entrepreneurs who have pivoted big time they they would know uh from from our point of view what what we keep looking at and and at someone make a call it pivoting is see know your core strength say in 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 our case what what do we know we know how to run lowest cost higher scale logistics network and if i know that how do i monetize that i can monetize it for last mile delivery then i can i can go and say i can monetize it for first mile delivery then i can say uh, i can take this up and apply to different industry i can apply this to fmcg industry but the core remains the same the philosophy that we follow is while maintaining the core is there possibility that i do 10% innovation but has an opportunity to increase my revenue by 100% uh, if the answer is yes then we know that we can we can expand ourselves into that area uh, but uh, but again it has to be the 10% extension for the 100% growth uh, if if the extension is more than 10% then you are changing the core of the company then uh or, or i mean someone may say it's 5% someone may say it's 15% but but we need to know what what we do best and on top of that what what uh, different lines of businesses that we can create that's how i look at uh, pivots or micro pivots if i may okay pivots and micro pivots yeah sandeep what happens if you create a product or a service that in itself may not be viable may not be a good business model but it can generate data or some other surplus maybe you you produce tv shows that lose money but that leads people to your shopping site which actually can make money how does an entrepreneur juggle these two models at the same time one that's not viable and one that is viable i think that is that is very much part and parcel of the overall equation right so uh, my suggestion is we don't look at that one individual piece as as the independent uh, pnl piece but the whole as a um, the, the whole as a product and, and then consider that if i take out this product x out of the equation what will be the impact for me onto the overall company uh, and and i mean that that that's part of mathematical modeling that not everything has to be evaluated independently on its own but if you take that piece out then how, how it will uh, how the overall pnl impact there are some areas which may not have any pnl impact the typical data sciences project that you will find out that they're not the pnl level impact uh, points but they would have significant competitive advantages for you to for for you to in future to come back uh, and if you cut down those um, those products or those teams are not invest there then suddenly two years or three years out you might figure out that your you don't have that competitive advantage anymore so i think all of those pieces needs to be evaluated on the pnl here and now the pnl's three years out the competitive position two three four years out uh, and then you will get a picture that is this product worth investing in in or not one of the things that you cannot compute mathematically perhaps and not exactly more accurately perhaps is the value of the brand you create and the value of the founder brand that you create because many founders tend to become brands in themselves because they're well known people is it important for an entrepreneur to have an accurate assessment of both the brand value of their business and of themselves as founders 
I think the brand value of the business is a is a is a, is a clear picture. Um, I mean, in in the in the B two C business, of course, the brand brand is everything for the customer. Um, and even in B two B business, your brand needs to stand for certain things. And uh, say in 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 our case, um, uh, the execution reliability, the cost, and high scale operations and very precise operations is the is is essentially the crux of the brand. And and we do everything that the, that our customers should remember the brand by that, and the whole organization is is geared towards that. Uh, so that's an that's an absolute most. I think in B two C it will be even more exaggerated given the the number of customers that uh, that they would have. Um, on the personal brand of the entrepreneurs, I'm 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 not so sure. Uh, um, see, you need certain level of branding uh, when you need. Uh, when you need to attract a good talent pool, people do follow uh, visionary founders. Uh, you do need some amount of media exposure uh, or brand in terms of your uh, investor relations because we are into a global pool uh, and, and people need to know about what you are doing. Um, and, and you do need some amount of branding for customer branding we already talked about. Uh, but then there is a fine line. When does this what's the what's the right amount of branding that is needed and when does it goes into the really uh, uh, really the, the next orbit level and when does that become the personal need for someone to get validated on the from the external media sort of ego and vanity branding yeah i i i mean i <laughs> i'm not a big fan of uh, of creating uh, big brands out of entrepreneur but that that's for everyone right i mean uh, maybe there are some business angles of their businesses that I have not noticed um, or it, it it gives them some uh, different amount of kick but but I would suggest that the, that the brand creation is necessity till, till the point that that your customers recognize you by that your investors recognize you by that and your employees recognize you by that beyond that it could it could get a little tricky on uh, just because of the exposure all right Sandeep, let me ask you a couple of personal questions. Now, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is really difficult. From all the things that you outlined, it's no walk in the park. Uh, I assume at some point you had a comfortable job, you had a secure job, and you left that to pursue entrepreneurship. Why? Why do you do what you do? So I, I had that internal um, need to, to prove to myself that, that you can do something standing independently on your own. And B that you have created something that uh, that would not be there if you are not there. And I think that's that's the drive that 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 keeps driving. I I was with Amazon earlier, and uh, before that I was I was in US uh, as a software engineer. I also worked at uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, so th those are great stint in terms of uh, uh, in terms of career growth. But there was always that need that that I want to create something of my own. I I want to tell to myself that this fingerprint left out there is uh, the world would not have been tiny bit different. I would would be tiny bit different if if I was not there. That's very philosophical thinking. But that's how I look at it. That at the end of the day, I should be able to say that for better or worse, the uh, the world is has a tiny bit of impression of mine, and it could be very vanity metric at some point of time. But that that's what keeps driving me for creating something. All right, Sandeep Deshmukh, co-founder of Elastic Run. Thank you very much for talking to ET Startup School. So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. 
ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika D'Souza, Arijit Berman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play as well as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Geo Savan and Google Podcasts.